That went exactly how we thought it would go. <laughs> we said, Baisley is going to sing as loud as she can. I hung out with Kendall and, Aang, and we said, and the boys are going to be terrified. So, I wish you guys could have seen Vera, though. This morning she did all the hand motions, but we knew. But then she uh, wanted to add confessions. So that's great. Well, I want to invite you to turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Verse 14, the verse that they just did together, that's what we've kind of built this service around is Luke chapter 2, verse 14. That's when we'll look out this morning. Well, with a lot going on, no sound system, in a different room, kids running around like crazy, I want to set the expectations for this morning and, and make them really tangible and easy. And so my goal is to simply see you leave this place with your mind totally blown. That's actually 100% what I want to do. But it's not because the sermon's going to be really good, because it'll be just like any other sermon you come to at Redemption Hill Church. We're going to read the Bible, we're going to look at it. But what happens in this passage is kind of this explosion of worship and awe of God by this army of angels. That's what we're looking at. So my hope for you as we consider what Christmas is, is and what it's about is that you would leave with your mind blown in awe of God and all that he is not because of a sermon or kids songs or those kind of things or even things that we're maybe want to hustle to after this but because we just see the Christmas story and the Christmas story really simply is this God became man to die for our sins and that's mind-blowing that doesn't make any sense to me I don't get it. I have teared up this morning. I was teared up in the front row singing the songs because that's what I think about. God became man to die for my sin. And that's mind-blowing. So I want us to walk through Luke 2. We're going to really hone in on just this one verse. And then we'll go and celebrate the rest of Christmas together. But my hope is that you leave and your mind is blown, certainly not by the sermon. <laughs> But by what God has done for us, that you see that this is true. And so as we approach this, let's read our passage for this morning to keep it in our minds. And then we'll walk through it just like we always do. Luke chapter 2 verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, the background of this we read in our scripture reading this morning. But what happens is Mary and Joseph, Mary is with child and she was with the child because she had known in a, a previous passage that we didn't get to read or talk about that this is Christ the Lord coming to save his people from their sins that angels have come and told her and Joseph this and so because of a census in their uh, world at that time they go back to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem she is pregnant and she the time comes that she's going to have a baby. She can't have that baby anywhere else because there's no room for her anywhere. And so she has a baby in a manger or basically a barn, if you can think of it that way. And that's where she has this child. And there's these shepherds keeping watch by night over their flock. And an angel shows up. And he talks to these shepherds. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And that's, what that, that's the announcement that then leads to our text for the morning. So our text for the morning is a response to that announcement. That angel says that, and then an army of angels burst out of the scene, and they start crying out, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. That's what brings this huge moment of worship, is the announcement that a Savior has been born. Now, any Jewish person at the time knows that it's a big deal that he's being born in Bethlehem. These are prophecies that they had been told as they were growing up as kids and the things that you tell your children and, and what gets driven into their minds is what they would have known that one day a leader would come and save his people that one day God was going to send somebody and the oppression would cease and that leader was called the Messiah or in Greek it's called Christ it's not his last name it's his title Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who was promised. And it just really literally means the anointed one, the one that God has chosen to lead his people. And he is special, and that's what he's going to do. The angel has told Joseph that. that You're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So that's the announcement. that This Messiah has come to save his people, and so they cry out, glory. Glory to God in the highest. Glory comes from the word doxa, which means splendor and honor. And it carries with it the idea of shining and brightness. It's like light. In fact, earlier in the passage, when the angel, first angel comes and talks to the shepherds, it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. We sang in that last song that one day what happened to the book of Revelation at the end of it all when we are with God in the new heaven and new earth it says that there will be no sun for God himself will be the sun his light will permeate throughout everything and this is that foretaste that they're saying glory it's shining and there he is and he's piercing through the darkness to these shepherds he's crying out glory to God in the highest He's talking about the highest heaven. And the next thing is, and on earth. That his glory cannot be stopped. It's like light in the darkness. If once you turn it on, nothing stops the light. You can't cover it up. It's just bright. And it just is. And he's crying out, glory, glory to God in the highest and on earth. And it's going to reach from the highest heavens all the way to the lowest earth. There's no place where his glory will not touch or see. And that reminded me of a passage in Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah gets caught up in this vision and he sees the Lord on his throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the whole temple. When he talks, the whole place shakes and there's these angels again. And with two wings, they have six wings. With two wings, they fly. With two wings, they cover their face. With two wings, they cover their feet. And they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So they cry out glory and there is no place that will be left untouched. Now the reality is, is you're sitting there and if you're anything like me and I like to wrestle with the scriptures, I like to ask them questions. I think my world doesn't look like that. My world doesn't look like there is just glory shining all over the place. There seems to be darkness everywhere. 
But what we see is that in the birth of Christ, it is already and not yet. The promise is being fulfilled so that the promise may be fully realized. Because he comes and he makes a way that we might have a relationship with God. And with him, he is, he is leaving heaven and coming to earth. And one day, all oppression shall cease. And one day, all darkness will be done away with. And God will be our steadfast light. All glory will be to Christ. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? We talk about the glory of God. Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is just a, a, a tool used um, <clears throat> to help people learn important doctrine. It's, and it's a question and answer format. And so you would memorize the question and then memorize the answers. The first question that it has is this. What is the chief end of man? Meaning, what is our purpose? And the answer is this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's to cast light onto who God is. That's what you were made to do. And I think this is amazing because what we see is that Jesus does this on day one. On day one, his very presence on earth leads to the glory of God crying out in the heavens to lowly shepherds in a field. We are to be like him. We are to live in a way that glorifies God. Now, that's hard because I can't just conjure up some angel army to start screaming glory to God in the highest. So what does that mean? What am I supposed to do? And I think if we look at the life of Christ and we look at how he does this, we see that he comes to us in humble means, in a small and humble town, in a small, humble place, in a manger. He humbles himself and considers others as more important than himself. In Philippians chapter 2, the first four verses, Paul tells us to consider others as being more important than ourselves. But then listen to what he says in verses 5 through 7. He gives an example of humility, of what it looks like to glorify God. And he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of men. God was brought low to bring glory unto himself so that he might raise us up with him. He is no ordinary baby. Judah asked me the other day as we read the Christmas story, so who is saving the people from their sins before God was born? I said, oh, Judah, that is a great question. I love questions like that. It's questions we don't think to ask, but there's questions we need to ask. Because we need to know that Jesus did not start existing at his birth. He is co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. He has always been and will always be. Which means that though equality with God in that form was something that he could have clung on to. He had every right to cling to it and grasp it. He didn't. He humbled himself and became born in the likeness of men what it looks like for us holidays are often a time of conflict we need to go to this place at this time we should do these things instead of that thing you want to eat ham we want to eat turkey whatever it might be but might i just suggest that the way we bring glory and honor to god is to consider others as more important than ourselves that we follow the footsteps of jesus and we humble ourselves as we remember the mind-blowing story that god became man 
and humbled himself for us. Now the question that I want to ask is why? Why would God do that? Why would God humble himself and become a man? Why would he not cling to the glory that is rightfully his? Why would he lay it down? It's to bring us peace. Because on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. See, his humility did not stop in his birth, but he lived a humble life where he cared for people and he healed the sick. He did amazing things, but he always put others before himself. Philippians tells us in verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Make no mistake, a death on a cross is absolutely humiliating. He was beaten, spit on, mocked, clothes ripped off and hung naked, humbled and humiliated for us. The book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 5, it tells us, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. What brings us peace in this world is the bloody death of the Savior who died for us. And I think when those angels are crying out glory to God on on the highest and on earth, peace with those who he is well pleased, they're not doing that naively, thinking everything's just going to be okay now, no more pain, no more suffering, but rather they're doing it knowing the end. They know that he was born to die. And they know that he'll come back one day. They know that it is good as done, that God always keeps his promises. And he kept his promise to send that Messiah, and he's going to keep his promise to bring him back. See, the angels not only announce his birth, but they announce something else in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, picking up in verse 2. Jesus has died, and he has been laid in a tomb for three days. And it tells us this. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. They announced the birth of Jesus knowing it's as good as done. And the angels announce the resurrection of Christ, knowing that in him you can have new life because he has died for your sin. He has taken your shame, your guilt, and he has nailed it to the cross. It is true what we just sang from Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that he is born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. His resurrection paves the way for our new birth in Christ. Paul says it like this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The original Greek, he says, My mind is totally blown by all the good things God does. Okay, that's not what it says. The point that I'm making is this, is that in the death of Christ, we are reconciled, or peace is made between us and God. 
says, how much more? If that is true of his death, how much more should we rejoice in his resurrection, in his life, that we might live as if we are people who are at peace with God? That's why Christmas is just so good. Because God came to dwell with man and made a way that we might have peace with God. Oh, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Now, before I conclude, and this won't be a long one, I told you that. We need to see there is a stipulation to that peace. Peace among those with whom he is well pleased. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, it tells us, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. So we have to ask that question before you leave here. Is God pleased with you? Now the hard thing for us is the natural human tendency is, well, then I better act right or get right or be really, really good. But that's not what the Bible tells us of what it looks like for God to be pleased with you. God is pleased with you because we are justified by faith so that we might have peace with God. That's Romans chapter 5 verse 1. You are, God is pleased with you if you put your faith in him. But what does that really mean? The Bible also tells us that even the demons know that he exists. God's not pleased with them. So what does it mean if God is pleased with you? Are you at peace with God? question is, is do you believe that he is who I've said he is this morning? That he is the savior of the world, born so that he may die in your place for sin, born that he may raise from the dead, and born that you might be born again through faith in him. And it's a faith that actually has some substance to it. In that chapter 11 of Hebrews, he then talks about all these people who have faith, but he says, and by faith, Abraham left his home. And by faith, Abel sacrificed a greater gift. What he's saying is everything by faith comes with some kind of action. Now, it's not the action that saves them. What I'm simply trying to say is if you really believe it, you'll live like you believe it. That's what real faith is. It's not just lip service. It's actually believing it. It's having your mind blown by the reality that God became man to dwell with us and die for sinners. Do we truly believe this? Does it alter the way that you live? Is it different? When Christmas falls on a Sunday, do you want to be here? That's not a jab on anybody else. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm simply trying to say is what gets you going? What motivates you in this life? What do you think about when you wake up and what runs through your mind when you go to bed? Are you the kind of person who's saying, give me Jesus? That's faith. It's the kind of person when you trouble hits in your life and it will How do you answer? Where does my help come from? The psalmist tells us my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's faith. It's not a requirement. It's not a checklist. 
though I think that's what we often want because it seems that that would be a little easier. It's a simple recognition that Christ is king. He is who he said he is. And I'm going to live like that's true because I actually believe it. So that's my invitation to you today. If you don't know Jesus, may today be the day of your salvation. Make it the greatest Christmas of your life that you would understand that God came to dwell with us. That you would follow him with all that you do. And if you are a Christian, if you know him and love him, I pray that this would stir up within you worship and glory to God. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you and we thank you for all that you do for us. You are king. You are the promised Messiah. And you are good and great.